Welcome to a Guest in the House podcast. I am Mickey Hess. And I am David Shanks, a.k.a. Trom Diggs. Welcome. And uh, I hear Trom Diggs has new music out. We should start with that. Oh, man. I did say that I was quietly working maybe a couple um, episodes ago. And so that is the case. I have uh, resurfaced as Trom Diggs. Um, with a new single called Worthy. Uh, so I guess we, we could check that out and then um, we can turn this into a semi Trom Diggs interview, I guess. That sounds good. All righty, let's give it a twirl. Worthy by Trom Diggs, new Trom Diggs music, produced by um, Southbound Beats. Shout out to Southbound Beats. And this is 2020 Trom Diggs. This is November 27th, 2020 Trom Diggs. Brand, brand new. I like it. uh, This is my first experience with the um, new technology, which allows us to complete a song and get it on the platforms immediately so this was done like last sunday and Mm. put up for uh release last like monday and released on friday so damn so a week or so not even not even yeah Yeah, it's amazing it's amazing I, i you know some of these guys i mean i'm not plugged into like a major label system but they're able to turn these things around in like a day or two sometimes Wow. So take us back to the beginning of the Trom Dick story. How were you how are you recording and distributing and making music in a totally different way back when this thing first started? Back when my career first started? Yeah, or back um, when your career first started. Oh wow. Um so my first, I believe real studio experience was probably 93 or 94. Mm -hmm. Um, 
studio was $75 an hour. It was in, um, it was in Harlem, actually. I went after school. Um, and so that setup was like, I, I wasn't quite real to real era. I didn't, I didn't, you know, the two inch reels that everybody talks about from the old days where they, they, they actually recorded two tape. I, mm-hmm. I recorded to what was called a, um, that, and then an ADAT. So mine would look like a cassette that would go into this machine and it would record on that. Then they had, they, they ended up having mini ones that are called, that were called ADATs. So, um, $75 an hour, you sat with an engineer and, you know, it, obviously back then it was best that you had your, um, material down pat before you even got in there. Cause it would save you a hell of a lot of money. So we go in there, we usually book like two hours and you're trying to get as much done in those two hours as possible. Then you get that, you take that back. Um, maybe you get a little rough mix on it and they give you a little uh, cassette or something and, or a CD and you, uh, you know, you got, you got your joint. <laughs> <laughs> then we got into the whole, when you're talking about releasing, I mean, the only release was you get a record deal. If you didn't get a record deal, your music was never released. So, <laughs> Um, you know, so you weren't one of the guys on South street handing out CDRs. That was never my thing, man. I was, we were, I was just talking about that with some, um, rapper homies of mine the other day about like the selling at 40, you know, Times Square and, and, and I was never a hawk my tape kind of guy, man. (laughs) So no 125th street, no South street in Philly. No, 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 no Times Square, no 40 deuce in Manhattan. (laughs) None of that, man. I I was, you know, I was more of the guy who was mailing his um, CDs out to the addresses at on the back of uh, albums. So I'd go to the back of the album. I'd say, okay, this guy signed to Sony. That's you know, PO Box something something, New York, New York, mm-hmm. one whatever whatever. And I'd send my music there. Then I go, okay, this guy is on Warner, and I'd send my music. To Warner, like so, I I definitely used to do that, and then you also, you know, just in in the city, if you knew somebody was uh, somewhere, maybe at a show or something, you try to get to the show and, and you know maybe give them some music or something like that. But I was never the s- s- selling on the street kind of guy, man. Hmm. And w- when you say we went to the studio for seventy five bucks an hour, is that you and your producer? Oh no, I was. Uh, that was my rap group, man. We were uh, mm. Dangerous Alliance. Shout out to Dangerous Alliance, my um, my brother uh, Damage, and my mm. um, other partner Big June, and um, I think I went with Big June, Damage. I think my man Chuck might have been with us, and uh, my brother Whiskey. Now these are still like my best friends to this day. But yeah, we were, that was my first rap group. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I didn't really start making solo records until, I don't know, maybe 2008. It's fairly recent. I was, I've been in rap groups the whole time. And you were playing shows back in what, 93, 94 with the group? We started doing show, show, local talent shows, maybe more like 94, 95. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They were doing shows when I I left Brooklyn and came, you know, to college in Philly in '94. Okay. So they were doing they they had done some shows themselves '94, and then once I got kind of established and going down in Philly, I remember we did a couple shows down here. And then, um, but my show, you know, my show life started really kicking up maybe around 05, 06. Around the time we first met. Correct. Around the time I came to see you at Fluid, Club Fluid in Philly, a few other places. Correct. And then now I was in the group with uh, my other partner, uh, Charlie, or Mm -hmm. ASAV, and we were the Trauma and ASAV show back then. That's probably um, around the time when we met. And correct me if I'm wrong on this. Is it 
much easier to record and get your music out there these days, but it's maybe even a little harder to book shows and play shows. I mean, even pre-pandemic, I was seeing a lot of people talk about just the uh, the dying off of the small clubs and just kind of the the listener mentality. They'd rather find it on YouTube, you know, rather find it for a, a quick download or stream than to actually go out and watch somebody perform live. Hmm. That, I mean... There is definitely still a the lifeblood of 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 the artist is definitely still shows. Mm. Um that becomes difficult for say, excuse me, the artist that isn't streaming, you know, three million, you know, times a month or something like that. So obviously the more popular your song is, the uh easier it is to book shows. I think what you're talking about is kind of that local live music scene. Definitely. Um, definitely took a hit. And that, that has a lot to do with, um, venues and, and and there's probably something, something to do with gentrification as well. (laughs) A lot of, um, spots that were like local little dive bars that would have music, you know, closed so that some other, condo or something could be built or you know whatever whatever the case may be um so there's definitely that going on um and yeah also it's just the listener itself um probably it's changed a little bit but as far as how easy it is to um like i said i i was able to create a song and have it on have it basically released to the public in a week so this is an unprecedented time in terms of being able to record and release music pretty much instantaneously. Cause you didn't have to leave the house. No, I could have went to SoundCloud or something and it would have been up immediately. It wouldn't even have taken a week. It only took a week for like Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, you know, uh, what are called DSPs. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a couple of technologies that probably some of our listeners don't even know. The old two-inch tape. Yeah. You might have heard that referred to like some Tribe Called Quest lyrics yeah. in that era. And then the DAT tape. Yeah. You so definitely the, hear that about, what, 10 years later? Yeah. So the two-inch, and let me um, clarify, DSP means digital streaming platform for mm-hmm. anyone who <laughs> didn't know that. Um, yeah, the two-inch reel, it looks like... now. There was a time, man, where, you know, like in the 70s and stuff, where if you had a little bit of money, you would have like the two-inch set up like in your house. That was part of like mm-hmm. your stereo set, you know what I mean? <laughs> Before uh, around the 8-track era, like, you you know, there were folks who had the fancy two-inch stereo system hooked up in their, in their houses. So, uh, you know, just technology, I think, you know, in the past let's say i don't know 10 years has kind of leaped you know like you think about our our lifetime we had um i probably was born into like the a-track era you know and so there's the eight tracks then there were it was vinyl it was cassettes you know uh cds on the um movie end you had your D- dvds vhs's um, laser disc, you know what I mean? Uh, now you got Blu-ray, but the digital technology of like the last 10 years has been like so fast. Now you just have a phone and you got all that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous how advanced things have gotten from like a cassette to Hmm. a stream. (laughs) Yeah. So pretty, pretty crazy, man. Pretty crazy. Yeah, even touching back the past couple episodes, we've talked a lot about the mainstream and the underground. I mean, these technologies along the way have definitely changed the shape and the aesthetic of both. Yes, for good. I would say probably for 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 better and for worse. I right? think so. I think yeah. so. What's the better? Um, it has in some ways leveled the playing field. Yeah, in that you know it's some of the gatekeepers who used to be able to stand in your in the way of you know music coming out mm-hmm. uh, have been removed at the same token there's a quality control that maybe some of the gatekeepers were able to um 
guarantee that, you know, is now removed. So anything can get out, which is good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anything <laughs> can get out. <laughs> Same thing with politics, right? Oh. Anybody can get online and create a huge following. Correct. They may be fucking terrible at it and just uh, full of conspiracy theories and have no training in politics, but uh, they can get out there and find a huge audience. I would say definitely it's the same kind of correlation. So everyone has a voice and you know what I mean? That comes with some benefits and that mm-hmm. comes with some, everyone has a voice <laughs> <laughs> kind of stuff. So it's like, everyone has a voice and it's like, everyone has a voice. So yeah. 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 You know, there's a couple of interesting articles out there from John Karamanica and the New York times and a couple other folks that, speculated that the old gatekeepers among hip-hop artists mm-hmm. have sort of fallen by the wayside as people became able to just put their music up on YouTube, Spotify, Bandcamp, wherever. Mm-hmm. And Karamanica actually has a, an article I can't completely buy into, but he talks about how with white rappers, you know, going back to the Beastie Boys, if it weren't for Run DMC and their close mentorship, their close sponsorship, taking them out on tour as the opening act. Um, without Run DMC and Russell Simmons, you wouldn't really have the Beastie Boys. Mm. Um, you know, we can as, point as, to some other examples. Yeah, as I would agree with that as constructed. They may have been something oh, else. Yeah. They may have, yeah. you know, been more punk from the beginning or maybe, but mm-hmm. I think as... Um, uh, effective like hip-hop touring acts you know the, the way they their show you know there's so much they learn from Run oh, DMC yeah. yeah for sure and that grooming and that um you know that tutelage was very important now at the same token three crazy white guys from New York running around skateboarding and spray painting mm-hmm. and, and you know they could have they may have been able to tape themselves on their phone and go viral anyway and ended up being you know uh, if they were around today they may that's still, the thing right yeah <laughs> if you're around today you don't really need the run DMC and Russell Summons correct. as far as getting yourself out there finding your audience correct. So it it can be a little dangerous, you know, to lose some of the gatekeepers, but you know, you also had gatekeepers who were doing a terrible job. Correct. Correct. I think also it's creating a very, because even when we take the Beastie Boys for a, um, that, what they were able to learn from Run DMC, I'm sure is part of the mixture that has them, you know, in the rock and roll hall of fame or, you know what I mean? Like them able to sustain such a long career. You know, the viral sensation can make waves for a short amount of time and kind of like take over the world for like two months. And then unfortunately, sometimes you have to fall back on that, you know, those 10,000 hours, that training, that you know mentorship that tutelage that they don't have and you see sometimes they end up disappearing because they had the moment but there was no there's nothing behind that mm-hmm. yeah it it disrupts sort of the lineage mm-hmm. of hip hop mm-hmm. you know like the family tree you can almost trace back a lot of the uh a lot of the acts like pre-95, especially, you can trace it straight back and say, okay, so, you know, you've got Everlast and House of Pain, but don't forget, you know, Everlast was part of Rhyme Syndicate, Ice-T's whole crew. You know, his first album was a solo album that came out on Ice-T's label. Correct. Um, At some point, and there were exceptions even way back then, but at some point, you could start to get yourself out there without being part of a lineage or having a mentor or having a sponsor, somebody established to take you under their wing. And when you reach 2020, it's not really that necessary. No. You know, as far as finding your audience, audience for the most part doesn't exactly care who you learn from or who vouches for you the Correct. same way they did in say 95 or so. Correct. The cosign is definitely not as important as it once was. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, again, when we talk about, you know, 
there being two sides to everything. I think that that's in many ways a good thing. I don't have a cosign, you know, and I was never really, I'm not close with a lot of other artists, you know, as much as I guess I may have done, it appears that I may have done like, oh man, you would think that I'd know more rappers. I don't know a lot of rappers. I'm not cool with a lot of them. (laughs) So (laughs) if my music getting out there was reliant on a cosign, I'd be SOL. Yeah. You know, at the same token, I've been doing this closely for a long time. So, you know what I mean? Before, you know, anyone heard, let's say, Saks Fifth Avenue, if that's what most people know me for, that's 2012. I had already been rapping for well over 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... And that's the one that got you labeled a one-hit wonder or something. Yes, 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 which is awesome. Yeah. But hey, you got the hit, right? I got the hey, man, look, you know. (laughs) They just didn't do the research. They just did, yeah. So I and but there was no way to research back then because it's funny, a guy um recently, I guess maybe in my bio or some information, I talk about like some previous releases, and a guy hit me up and he was like Hey man, I can't find these old releases, and I'm like, well, because they never came out, you know, because I mean? <laughs> it was that was the era where if you didn't have a record deal, your music, there was nowhere to put your music. I have the CDs on my, you know, for my person, so I ended up uploading a few uh, of the like the older stuff, and I put it on um, Bandcamp actually yep. um, as part of like a subscription service. So anyone who's interested in hearing some of the like. 1999 Trom Dig stuff. Um, yeah, it's on it's on Bandcamp. And that was the kind of stuff that got me into the underground early on. You I'm know, sure. The idea that you know you could you could just hit up somebody directly mm-hmm. uh, on email was pretty much what you used back then, or sometimes MySpace. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would send you a CDR that they had handwritten the name of the album on. Mm-hmm. You know, I would I would order from like Count Basie down in Nashville, for example. Right. Um, and yeah, you'd get a CDR. He'd written the title of the album, then you got like a free autograph with it, basically <laughs> a ten dollar CDR, handwritten name of the album. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, I mean, you have a, um, you know, you have a particular uh, viewpoint of things, perspective of things. So you can see the art in that. Oh, for sure. You know, the same way I I can, I can see how important that is, you know, as a, as an art piece. So Mm -hmm. I can look at this thing and say, Hey, I got, this is actually from Count Base D from, you know, 96 and, it has his signature on it and everything. That stuff's important. That stuff means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe that's graduated to a merch item. I think that, you know, there's yeah. a hoodie or, you know, like a West Side Gun hoodie or something might mean that to a kid now in some way, shape, or form. But even having a physical copy of the music isn't that important to people these days. I mean, where, where would they even play it? Yeah. Although, I mean... Vinyl is, you know, there is a, a market for, for vinyl. Yeah, I wonder how many of those vinyl buyers are old instead of young kids. You know what I mean? I think it's a mixed bag. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my experience with the vinyl has been that it's younger guys, maybe uh, uh, 25 to to 40 kind of demo. Really? Okay, yeah. that surprises yeah. me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty, not so much as twenty-five. Yeah, no, it is. It's a, it's a few young guys. Oh, I, man. I tell you a story that relates to the new single. Yeah. Um, Southbound Beats. Uh, he DM'd me on Instagram, and just said, "Hey, Trom, I've been listening to your music since I was fourteen. I'm twenty now. <laughs> I love your stuff." Uh, you know, I was like, hey, well, I really appreciate it. But, you know, I always um, respond to folks. So he said, um, then he gave me his whole, you know, he, he shot his shot, as they say. He's, hey, man, I would love to make some music with you. It would be a dream of mine to collaborate with you. Boom, 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 boom. I said, hey, look, send me some music, bro. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> we'll take it from there. <laughs> so he sent me a couple beats and the single is one of them. I just sent nice. him back the song, <laughs> two verses on it. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe you did it. And so, you know, it can happen, man, but it, it's just, it's kind of amazing for me to think about this kid who's 14 years old, probably hearing Saks Fifth Avenue six seven years ago and then getting into a space where he makes music at as a 20 year old man yeah and cool. he's able to like reach out to me and we're able to actually find something you know what i mean and, and make something happen I, I mean i can't fathom being able to like dm rock him and say hey i've been listening to you since 86 mm. i would love to make music with you and then it just can happen you know what i mean i would have never i would have never had that opportunity so when we talk about technology and what what it's created you know that's that's an example right there and where's this guy based the guy that made this man don't get me to line Uh, okay (laughs) you don't even have to know right he's just out there in the ether you don't even have to know his email works my email works he said he sent the track i sent back the music, the, the music. He sent me a mix. He could he be in outer space for all you know. He could be outer space. I've I've done two albums with Gas Lab. I've never been in the same room. And Gas Lab is Argentina? Argentina. Yep. Yeah. I have I met think. his mother and his sister. Beautiful okay. people, but never met the guy. We skyped a few times. That's the only visual we've ever had of each other. And this is a guy you made two albums. Two with. albums with. How did you and happen to meet his mom and, and sister? consider him a friend. They came to New York, actually. Nice. Um, when they came to New York, they um, they came down to Philly. I think one time I might have met them in New York, and another time I met them in Philly, if my memory serves, mm-hmm. or maybe both times. They took the bus down to Philly, and I, I met them, gave them some records, gave them, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And I know you've done international collaborations beyond that, like guesting on somebody else's track, or they would guest on yours. A bunch. Yeah. A bunch, a bunch. And yeah, if they usually, you know, usually they'll say, hey, I'm, they'll introduce themselves and say where they're from. Yeah. And, um, or obviously if they send the music, I, I can tell, okay, well, this, you know what I mean? This is a Spanish accent or this yeah. is French or, you know, something I can't come up with like Polish or something. Yeah. <laughs> you were on the Dre Yard track. He's Belarus, right? You I were on there with so. uh, Recognize Ali. Yes, I am on there. Yep. yep. Yeah, I think yep. this is a, a Belarus guy, if I'm right. Um, you could be right, man. You could be right. It's it's it's. I should get better with knowing. Yeah, but it's it's hard it's hard to keep track to be honest, man. Hey, if the music <laughs> comes out okay, I don't know if you have to know. Yeah, it's so and it, it, it's it's hip hop, man. It doesn't. You know, yeah. what did Rakim say? It ain't where you're from, it's where you're at. That's like, it. It doesn't even, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. So, you know, I know a lot of writers whose careers have kind of mirrored yours. You know, mm. staying on small presses or putting out their own stuff, trying to get it out in the hands of people, mm-hmm. you know, making connections with other writers kind of uh, in that same world. Mm-hmm. And with them, I've always seen a little bit of resentment against the bestseller list. Ah. And I don't see that in you. No. No. So you don't look at, say, a Drake on the charts and think, man, he didn't earn that spot. Not at all. Because I know, I know, I guess my vantage point from having never, like, kind of cracked that ceiling, Mm -hmm. but... You know, it's like the is the true value on 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 you know around the corner from you. Are they jealous of Home Depot? I don't I don't know that they're jealous of Home Depot. You know, they just they're a small business. Right. Scared I look at myself. I look at myself as a mom and pop store yeah. rapper. You know what I mean? Like I'm just I'm in the same exact yeah. marketplace. My my single will sit in it right next to anyone else's sing, single on um, iTunes, Spotify. Amazon, you know what I mean? Pandora, people have Trom Diggs radio stations. People can tr- favorite their favorite Trom Diggs songs and put them all on a playlist just like any other artist. I'm, I just don't have the marketing budget. Mm. You know, so there's no, that's, that's tough. That's difficult. 
I'm really too busy, to be honest with you, being thankful that we have entered into a space where even if it's 30 people, I can release music that I know is going to be consumed by a small segment of people and they're going to give me feedback. And that's a blessing because for so many years of me doing this, because I couldn't quote unquote get on, there was no outlet to really, outside of your friends, there was no way to really put your music in the marketplace and have people respond. Yeah. And now, you know, if my music is being played in 75 different countries, I'm in the, you know what I mean? Like I have that direct relationship with, with the fan, which is a beautiful thing. So I'm too busy being like grateful to even worry about who's bigger and who's, and I know that that takes hard work too. So I can't take that away from, from anybody. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only difference in your metaphor is, Unlike Home Depot, Drake isn't trying to run you out of business. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which, which, right. Exactly. So I'm not even, I have no reason to be upset. You have to feel competitive. I'm, yeah. I'm not even, he doesn't even see me. I'm not on his radar. Yeah. I mean, I think it's tough to get to that point for a lot of people. And it's something I even earlier in my writing career would struggle with because I would read something that was just so popular and so celebrated, sold so many copies. And I would think this is really not all that good. Like, am I crazy? Mm. (laughs) I think my stuff is pretty good. And this is garbage. Now don't get me wrong. And that's why I made the distinction of Mm -hmm. the technology being able to kind of catch up. Yeah. There was probably a, extended period of time where we all felt that way because we were being what you would consider to, you know, I guess in our minds blocked from mm-hmm. getting ahead. So you, you're, you know, you got your music and you're, you're sending your music. Like I was talking about mailing it to all these labels and you're meeting all these people and you're giving them music and you're, you're opening for, uh, for bigger artists and you're trying to build a rapport and you're going through all of this to try and, you know, get into this system to get into this industry and the doors aren't opening, but then you're watching all kinds of acts come out and do well. And you're listening to their music and you're listening to yours and you're saying, I don't get it. Yeah. There you, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say, I don't get it. And then, but you know, now because of, you know, the opportunity to go direct to consumer I don't feel that anymore. That's a big change. It really mm-hmm. means a lot. Mm-hmm. It's it far different to have created something and it's like sitting in a drawer in your bedroom and five friends of yours heard it. Right. Then to create this thing and, you know, somebody hears it all the way across the world. You know, somebody hears it in Japan and sends you an email. Or right. Wants to work with right. And, and funny, what has happened, like part of that has to do obviously with my age, I would guess, but- now it's kind of flipped. I seldom hear f- feedback from my friends. Most of my <laughs> feedback are from strangers. Interesting. My friends are kind of over it. <laughs> They've been hearing it for 30 years, right? Exactly. Yeah, I know that one. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the new one. I'll tell you right now. Oh, beautiful. Um, I really like the uh, the Belarus track too, the Dreyard track. I think I know, I know you dug that one. Yeah, I know you dug that one. That was that one. this year too, right? It wasn't that long. That ago. was last not year? this year. I believe that was last year. Okay. Yeah, if not last year, 2018 maybe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I probably recorded it maybe closer to 2017, but I think he was – it was like a part of a compilation. So I think he was just gathering verses and kind of, it's not even the original beat that I laid it on. Actually, it was a mm. completely different beat. Yeah. And if, if anybody out there needs artistic motivation, whether you're making music or writing or whatever you might be doing, like uh, you just got to think like that one email you get from somebody there's probably another 20 people who heard it or read it and thought it was cool, just didn't click the button. You know, Very didn't true. reach out, didn't click like, didn't click retweet. Um, I've always tried to look at it that way. You know, if I, I used to get, because I would send things out in print, this was before the internet really took over. Um, I would get like some letters from people or postcards from people all over the world. 
um, you know, just here and there, a handful of people would reach out. And I'd always think, well, you know, if this guy really sat down and wrote me this letter about how much he liked it, there's probably, you know, another 20 people who thought it was cool, just didn't take the effort to, to sit down and write to me. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was looking through some, um, I was looking through some, uh, like old Instagram messages. Sometimes I may like check a hashtag or something like that just to see, you know, what's, what's out there, um, in the world. And I found a post about your book from a young lady, I guess this was probably 2016 maybe or something like that. And she was, um, giving like a little review of your book. Hey, that's cool. Yeah, she mentioned me in the post. That's why I came. Ah, up. look at that. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, your was... your essay from my book, probably. No, 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 no. It was about it was um, it was a guest in the house. Oh, cool. It was a guest in the house. She tagged me, I guess, as part of her post. She tagged, yeah, me, I guess, because she knows our um, affiliation. But um, she tagged Master Ace. She tagged me, and then she tagged uh, a couple other things. But um, she gave a nice warm um review of your book hey that's cool i thought that was cool yeah yeah yeah, yeah but I mean, what you say about the um you know the multiplying how many people listen you know may find it or find value in it but may just not say anything yeah. that that is that's real you know that's real yeah and i definitely make an effort you know if i hear something i like it shoot an email, shoot a tweet, you know, just say, Hey, you know, I really like this thing. Yeah. It's important. It's important. I try to, I try to do the same, man. You know what I mean? Sometimes, I mean, you know, I support is we're all out here, you know, especially the creatives, you know, we're always we're putting ourselves out there kind of like every time we do that, it's almost like getting naked, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, especially, for me, because of the type of, you know, subject matter that I carry definitely in my music is, you know, it's very like vulnerable, at, you know, at times. And so it's like you do it and it's done and you put it out there. And sometimes, you know, folks just act like it's nothing, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you're like, yo, don't you see what I'm doing here? Like I'm, I'm kind of putting myself out here. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, be so, you know, when somebody connects and says hey man i really dug that it means a lot man it's not it's not it doesn't mean you're looking for validation or or you know it's it's nice it's nice to know that you know people see you and hear you man yeah man it keeps you going yeah. keeps you moving on to the next one right yeah yeah for sure so what for do you sure. say when you get uh, I was going to say email, but that's 20 years ago, I guess. What do you say <laughs> when you get an Instagram message from uh, somebody who says, like, how do I do this? You know, what's your advice for somebody just starting out? Do it. Yeah. <laughs> do it. That's it. Yep. Okay. How do you, how do I do it? Do it. Do you it. know what I mean? And you know, the funny thing is even that has switched with technology. You know, just like I'm saying this, I would never have I've been in a room with some of my heroes and I would never ask them to make music together. Mm. But these kids, they they go right to it. Yeah. I want to make music with you. And it's like, wow, but you just told me you're a fan of mine. <laughs> and but there's no they don't see any boundary there. They don't see like, well, I'm a fan. Maybe I I wouldn't ask him to make music with him. They go right to it. I'm a fan. I want to make music with you. You think it's the difference of doing it over the internet versus in person? I think the technology and just the access yeah. has leveled the playing field. It's made us all kind of normal. You know yeah. what I mean? And so he can look at me or they can look at me and say, oh, he's not a superstar. <laughs> he's he's trauma. I like him, but yeah. he ain't a superstar. So I'm gonna ask him to make some music together. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they don't DM Royce to five nine and say hey. But I'm sure Royce gets DMs with people saying I want to send you beats. Yeah. I want to make music oh, with you sure. because it's the access. It's the fact that I can, or maybe you know, 
I liked the tweet of his or he retweeted something that I said about him. So now it's like, yeah, we're friends. I can just- oh, Yeah, you've interacted. Yeah, I can just talk to him. Yeah. So that that is created. You know, there's no more the reverence that I would have for a Rakim or a Big Daddy Kane or, or you know what I mean, a Kooji rap or something. That, you know, the reverence is different now. It's like, I respect you and I like you. We're on the same playing field. I do music yeah. too. Yeah, and I think on the receiving end, as far as you, it's probably a lot more comfortable to get that request over Instagram than if somebody knocks on your door. Oh, 100%. Knocks on your car window after it's, a show. It's not going to be the same reception. Yeah. And 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 so, yeah, even that, even that makes it different, right? Because now I can take my time. I can see the post, you know, which is what got me in trouble with the guy who called me a one-hit wonder. Apparently, I looked at the post, but I was like driving or doing something and didn't respond. So by the ah. time I got home to go to my computer to respond, he was already uh, pissed off because he had saw that I read the message <laughs> and didn't say anything. So he was already in his, who do you think you are? Dun, dun, dun. And I'm oh, like- He needs like, the thumbs up. Yeah. He mm. needed he needed an instant response. I guess once the little red button or whatever green button, whatever happens on these devices to let you know <laughs> that it's been, it's been read- once he seen it was read and not responded to, he was already in his bag. And I'm like, oh, God. Wow. So I that in that space, that was a teachable moment for me. So I said, hey, my man, <laughs> little did <laughs> you know, I had every intention of coming home and responding to you. I was literally driving, saw the message, put my phone away. But now, you know, look what you did. Yeah. And then, you know, oh, I'm sorry, man. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. It's just that blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, I don't owe you anything, partner. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that approach. Yeah. 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 I get like here and there I'll get requests because I've, I put out a few books on hip hop that I guess get stocked in like high school libraries, college libraries. I get a few requests from students who are embarking on some kind of research project and sometimes they're just like will you just tell me what to write down <laughs> but other times they're super insightful like uh, there, there were a couple of students from california that emailed me last year and we're working on this project on arab americans in hip-hop and muslim identity in hip-hop right and neither one are, are something I've really written on that directly, but you know, I was able to point them to some good resources, some other books and articles they may not have known about. And uh, they entered some kind of research competition. I can't remember the exact name of it, but they made it pretty far in the state, it looked like. So I thought that was really cool. Pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. That so even cool. the ones I get where it sounds like somebody is just throwing me kind of a lazy request, like, hey, will you give me a couple paragraphs I can just pop into my paper and see I interviewed somebody. I still take it seriously because you never know, especially when it's a kid, they may just not know exactly how to approach. Yeah. I mean, I always try to, unless, and I haven't had too many, um, you know, occasions where there was disrespect, Yeah, but, it, it, you know, I generally, you know, I, I, I exchange with everybody. If I can, Definitely. if I catch them and I, and I, you know, if I can read it and I get to it, I exchange with folks all the time, man, because, you know, look, I, I look at it like you could be listening to anybody. So if you took the five minutes or 10 minutes to listen to Trom Diggs and then felt compelled to reach out, it's, sure. all, good. it's all good with me. So I got a Royce story I can oh. tell. I don't think I've told this one on the podcast. but I, I don't recall hearing any Royce stories. I can't Ooh. wait. So you reminded me, you said Royce a couple minutes ago, and you said dat tape earlier. Mm -hmm. So this would have been around 2000, okay. um, which was the dat tape era. Yes. Royce was playing a one-off show driving down from Detroit to play in Louisville, Kentucky, which is mm. where I was living at the time. Right. Um, so I get there, it was at Headliners Music Hall, which I think is still in existence. Let's hope it okay. survives the pandemic. So it was a bad, bad without evil. It would have been, absolutely, okay. yeah. <laughs> that era after, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you don't know the whole story of Royce, he was Eminem's kind of right-hand man. He was the other half of a lot of the early recordings people heard of Eminem. Mm -hmm. 
Um, everything you saw proof do, I think it would have been Royce if things had gone down a little differently as far as, you know, being on stage with Eminem and all these massive tours. Yeah, it appeared so. But Royce, uh, ran afoul of Dr. Dre essentially. I think Royce ran afoul of a lot of, (laughs) a lot of people back then. Yeah. But he, he'd said in an interview that, uh, Watching Eminem and Dre in the studio, it was like Eminem was teaching Dre. Mm. And that didn't sit well with Dre. Um, Some other things Roy said or did didn't sit well with people. So he was at a weird moment in his career that I did not expect in 2020 to see him come back with all these amazing releases he's done the past three, four years. Grammy nominated album, if that means anything. That means a little something, I think. (laughs) So back in 2000, he was uh, he was sort of uh, being blackballed from the hip hop industry, basically. Yeah. Um, he was playing a little show, a one off show, driving all the way from Detroit down to Louisville, Kentucky, and his DJ forgot the dat tape. Wow. And this was, you know, nobody had like data plans. You know, nobody had the laptop yeah. with them with everything backed up on it. I guess the DJ forgot the dat tape. Wow. So Royce was also pretty drunk. You know, he was up at the bar, saw him kind of drank a lot back then, drank a lot back then. It's something he's talked about in his music, talked about in interviews. Yeah. Um, He's got this new push for record labels to have to pay for rehab for their artists, you know, especially when they're putting out songs that celebrate substance abuse. I I think is a great um, platform to stand on. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, he needs to work that through the Biden administration. Maybe yeah, something yeah, since, nationwide. Since he owes us, right? That's true, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are we going to manage this? Yeah. It's got to come together somehow. Yeah. But anyway, Royce's DJ forgot the dat tape. He had like one track that he performed, and then he just sort of invited people up on stage to freestyle, and he would judge it. And he mm. was he was like visibly drunk, and just really not doing well. And I kind of regretted spending like 15 bucks to see it. Wow. But in 2020, looking back, I'm really glad I saw it because it was like watching a guy kind of crash and burn Mm. who had so much promise. Mm -hmm. And I left thinking like, man, I think Royce's career is probably not going to go much longer. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, 20 years later, he's got a Grammy nomination. Yeah, yeah. And it's considered by many, you know. One of the best guys in the in the in the, in the art form, absolutely. Which is a uh, you know an ode to perseverance, and just kind of things will turn around for you, man. If you keep working hard, if you keep you know all the cool cliche stuff. But that story you just gave reminded me of a cool story, um, from back in the days. It was a uh, homecoming, Temple University homecoming show, hmm. and. Karis One was headlining. Wow. And Nice and Smooth was, I think it was Karis One and Brand Nubian. Nice and Smooth was there, hmm. I guess, just hanging out, kind of. And, you know, Karis called them on stage. Kenny Parker, uh, Karis One's brother and DJ, uh, trying to search through his records and couldn't find, um, you know, Dwick. Mm. we happened to be like the house DJs at the show. And so I said, yo, we got a copy of Doik. So we ended up helping save the show by handing Kenny Parker our copy of Doik so that Nice and Smooth could perform. Wow, look at that. Very cool. Very cool. Hip-hop moments. Yeah, any mention of (laughs) Nice and Smooth is cool by me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hip hop moments. Hip hop. And Dwick, I think Dwick was a rare, um, Dwick was a rare vinyl because, you know, I remember Dwick was Gangstar Signal. Sig- mm-hmm. sig- sig- so I believe Dwick was the B side of Take It Personal. Really? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the video is out on Atlantic City Boardwalk. It is. It is. It is. It is. Classic video. Definitely. Yeah, Classic I was fortunate video. enough to bring Greg Nice in as a guest speaker in my hip-hop class at Ryder probably like six years ago at this point. It's been a little correct. while. Correct, 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 
correct. Very cool guy. Definitely. Very cool guy. Oh man, well, I don't know. I don't know if we have anything more. I've given my offering. Yeah. So Well, hey, we uh we wrapped it up with anecdotes. A little Royce, a little nice and smooth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, all in all, I guess to put a bow on it, you know, it is it it's good to be back in that exercising that part, you know, of the brain and muscle. Definitely. Uh, you know, the podcast for the last couple months has been definitely helping me out in that space outside of that it's just like working stiff regular responsible adult type stuff you know i get to i get to come here and kick it with you twice a (laughs) month so that's been great and express myself but um yeah nothing really replaces you know being like on beat <laughs> you know, i'm thankful to have a couple yeah. of new projects underway during quarantine i think i'd be i'd be going crazy without them yeah 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 it'd be nice to um i haven't figured out this you know the stream shows technology stuff uh our guy uh reef is doing a great job with that oh yeah definitely shout out to reef the lost cause just yeah. put out a new album the airing yeah. of grievances i gotta check it out yeah i gotta check it out yeah, I think, what, like two nights ago, he did a, a live stream to celebrate the release. On Twitch, right? Which On Twitch. I don't even, yeah. you know, I have, I'm clueless. <laughs> no, I just typed in the link on, on Safari, and it just comes up in the web browser. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm clueless. So once I, get a, uh, once I get a grasp on that stuff, uh, maybe, you know, we'll start, start getting some shows together and stuff. Uh, that'd be cool. Uh, you know, for the people. For the people. There you go. All right, beautiful man. Let's wrap this one up. Let's do it. So this was Guest in the House. I'm Mickey Hess. I am Melancholy David Tromdig Shanks. <laughs> Peace, love, black power. See you next time. Mm-hmm.